0: Amen. Thank you, Timothy. <clears throat> I thought it important, especially w- this passage, to, uh, for you to hear a little bit more of the story. Um, we tend to come upon passages like this, and we miss the relationship. We miss the love. We miss the, the longing and affection for one another that, that, that precedes it and surrounds it. Um, and you know what? Before I begin... Um, the Lord Jesus, on the night he, he was betrayed, he did not uh, open the cellophane first um, before he broke it. Um, so, before we, we share in the Lord's Supper together, I'm going to do this now. Um, sorry about that. Here we go. Um, so, we are, we, we are in Lent, as Angelo said, we're beginning our Lenten series. Um, a week, a week late, which I told somebody earlier this week feels very bridge, you know. Um, no offense to any of you and when you show up, but it um, just feels right. We're, we're in the second week of Lent. Um, what is Lent? Lent is a, it's a season that starts on Ash Wednesday um, and concludes on Holy Saturday, which is the Saturday just before Easter. Um, and, uh, and that's not how Lent has always been uh, observed, by the way, in the history of the church, um, it's evolved over the, over the time, uh, and uh, but but it always has been whether the, the time frame or when it when it landed on the calendar, um, it's always been a time uh, of fasting and repentance, um, and uh, and as you've heard, repentance is a key a key component of Lent. Um, Esau Macaulay in his book on Lent, he says that Lent is inescapably about repenting. And he, he goes on to define repentance. It's there on your outline. You've heard a couple definitions, both if you're in the adult Sunday school this morning. Kim shared one with us. Um, here's, a, here's yet another. And it's a good thing. Um, as I, I think Ed frequently says, you don't know something if you can only s- express it in one way. So it's actually, it, this, these aren't, if you're hearing different things, that's good. That's, repentance has many dimensions to it. Um, and Esau Macaulay defines it this way. It is a change in direction, a spirit-empowered turning around, turning away from our sins Toward the living God. Uh, And and typically, or I should say traditionally, uh, Lent has been uh, a time for three three different groups of people to to consider repentance. Um, Those who are who will be baptized, who are preparing for uh, for their new life with God. Uh, Easter is actually traditionally in the church a time for baptism, which I I haven't experienced that. I always like that idea. Um, But that that in the Lenten season you prepare for baptism. Um, It's also a season for people who have been estranged from the church to be reconciled back. Uh, Lent is often seen as a time for that and an invitation for that. And then, of course, Lent is also, for the third group, for for all of us, uh, anyone to consider how you have drifted from God. Uh, Lent is a time to repent, to return back, Um, a time to reflect on your life. life. Um, And so so for this series, what we're going to do, we're going to look at four, four turns of repentance uh, a turn toward holiness this week, a turn toward hope next week, a return toward abundance, and then finally a, a turn uh, to a path for life. So this week, holiness. Um, holiness uh, through uh, considering this First Thessalonians letter. This is um, most likely Paul's earliest letter. Uh, if you want the backstory on it, you can go to Acts 17. Um, and, and as you heard a little bit from what Timothy read, um, it's Paul and Silas, they go to uh, Thessalonia, um, and they, they, they bring the gospel there. It leads to a new church, um, and yet there, there's all sorts of accusations and persecutions that come to the Christians because of their, their claim that Christ is king, not Caesar. And so as a result of these persecutions, Paul and Silas have to flee, um, and that's the, the separation you heard um, in the passage that's read. They're, they're, they're separated from the people that they love. So if you can imagine Bridge Community Church is persecuted and 10 of you have to flee and leave, leave Glenside, leave Montgomery County and go to Canada and, or, or wherever and, and we're separated from you and our hearts are broken. Um, that, that's, that's what's happening here. And so Paul is writing this letter. He wants to reconnect. He wants to, to um, celebrate the faithfulness that he heard about in their community and to encourage them to continue in the way of Jesus, to continue in the way of holiness um, and a life that is pleasing to God. Um, and, and that's a call that, that gets us oriented to what Lent is all about. It's a, it's a question for each of you to consider. Um, are you living a life that is pleasing to God? It's, a, it's another way of saying, are you, uh, are you living a holy life? That, that might not be a question that you've considered much lately. Um, it's, it sort of struck me sideways as well, I'll be honest. Um, it's a little bit like recently um, uh, I started reading a book on, on uh, hurried, the hurried life, uh, and I realized um, I, I don't think about am I in a hurry all the time, and this, this question just sort of hit me sideways. The, one of the ways the, the author helps you think about whether or not you're hurried is do you move your checkout line to a shorter line if you have the chance? Or um, if you're driving, um, do you move, like, are you the, the lane switcher? Like, that one looks like it's going faster. I'll go there. Um, and uh, I brought this up at the, the rule of life uh, ta- uh, supper session we had, and Ann just yelled out, that's efficiency. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But also, he's trying to make the point, like, do you see how kind of messed up that is? Like, you're, are you the person on your GPS who, who will go another route because it's one minute faster? All, the, all this to say, this is not a sermon about the hurried life, but but how you you can you a question can come along that can reveal I am living by the minute, um, and similarly, this question of Are you living a holy life? Um, do you do you consider a holy life, a life that's pleasing to God, as something that you think about in your daily life and the decisions that you make? Are you are you living a holy life, a life that pleases God? Um, and and that's that's Paul's concern for the church um, in. In uh, And you can see he has got two particular concerns right away. Um, in verse 3 and 5, he says, uh, and this is in your outline, um, he warns against sexual immorality. He says, if It is God's will that you be sanctified, set apart, um, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So avoid sexual immorality. Uh, the word for sexual morality kind of has to do with uh, like a, a selling off of your sexuality, of your 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 purity, your holiness. Like a cheap, like like the way that somebody might sell off something to continue to um, like in a cheap way, maybe to continue to gamble or you know. Th- there's sort of like a, a, an uneven exchange. You're giving up something that's that's precious for something that 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 doesn't return um, in 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 like value. So are you giving this up? And and Paul's Paul's warning to the to the church would be warranted. Um, what do we know about a little bit about uh, uh, both Corinth, where Paul's writing from, most likely, um, and Thessalonia? Uh, it th- these are places where um, where sexual morality is rampant. Uh, William Leckley, in his book uh, The History of European Morals, which <laughs> just sounds like such a fun read, doesn't it? Uh, he he described the, uh, the he he goes into detail, which I'll spare you, but. The, the, the license with which people lived in, in this time and in this place. He writes, he concludes, he writes, there, there was probably never a period of when vice has, was more extravagant or uncontrolled than under the Caesars. Um, so Paul's, Paul is warning, right? We, we use these, these passages sometimes to clobber at, at certain issues or things, but, but consider what Paul's concern for the church that he loves. He wants them to be protected, to be careful Um, to live in a holy way. So that's the first concern. The second concern um, is interesting. It's it's a little bit further down. It starts in verse nine. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more um, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, which by the way, if you enjoy quoting scripture out of context, that's a great one. Uh, the scripture says, mind your own business. Uh, you should mind your own business uh, and to work with your hands, right? So you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone, on anybody. Um, so there's this group in Paul's letters to the church here, um, in, in both of his letters, there's this group that gets identified a couple times that they're, they're, they're idle. They're, they're not working. they're There's they're sort of an irresponsibility about their obligation to work, um, and we're not entirely clear why, but the commentators that, that seem to suggest, there's sort of all kinds of theories out there, but but it, what, what seems to make the most sense, and, and discerning from, from other evidence, is that their lack of work, it's not laziness, it's that they had misunderstood Paul's teaching about the second coming. They had this eschatological excitement about the return of Christ, good thing, but that had had arranged it such in their minds and hearts that that meant that they shouldn't work. That they could kind of just say, hey, Christ is going to come back tomorrow. I'm not going to work today. Uh, and, and as a result, Paul's saying, "No, what's happening actually is you're not, you're not walking in holiness. You're becoming a burden to others. You're depending upon people for things that you're capable of doing. So this is not, an, if you're unemployed here this morning, this is not a, a, an admonition against you. Um, this is about, uh, being a, a theological conviction that leads people astray. They become a burden on the community. Um, and Paul says, you're, you're not loving others because of this. Uh, the gift of their bodies to work and to create is a means of love, and they're forsaking that. Uh, so what's a common thread between these two exhortations? So you have, on the one hand, a warning against sexual morality. and the other hand, uh, a warning against idleness. Um, th- there's a common thread here. Uh, And it's the body. Uh, On the one hand, there's a culture in which they live that viewed the body as a master, and the body's desires were to be satisfied. On the other hand, there were some Christians who came to misuse their body, not in passionate lust, but in idleness um, because of their theological convictions. The body uh, is is either to be served or the body is irrelevant. Then in both cases, um, it is the body, their use of the body, that that collides with their life to please God, um, to live a holy life. Now, if that strikes you as maybe a a bit strange, uh, I'll just say uh, that it struck me as strange too. I'm still thinking about this, so 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 hang with me. If you're like, this is a sermon about the body, okay? Um, But but there's more here, so 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 stay with me. and before we get to how Paul kind of helps us think that, think that through, we just have to go one level deeper. The problem is not just that individuals were falling into sexual morality or that individuals were just um, refusing to work. Um, there's, a, there's a community problem here too, right? And, and you, you see it in verse 6. Um, and we just need to take time with this. Their the misuse of the body affected the community in which they live in. Notice verse 6. Um, he says, and in this matter, no one... Should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister, the Lord will punish those who commit such acts as we told you. Uh, So think about this. uh, Ancient ancient culture, um, the view of the body is the body's the master to be obeyed, um, to be satisfied. And and in this time and place, if you had the power and the means um, and it, uh, it was acceptable to use somebody who was weaker or more vulnerable than you to satisfy the desires of your body. Uh, to oppress and to use others as a means for your own satisfaction. Uh, and so Paul, this is what Paul's speaking about here when he says, when he says um, not to take advantage of a brother or sister. Um, Paul is warning against this abuse, and he says the Lord will punish those who commit such acts. So, uh, it's a difficult verse to make sense of. Um, what can we say about it? it? In the first place, it serves as a warning for anybody who, who dismisses the teachings of the scriptures about, about how we're supposed to use our body and what God has given us a body for. It's a warning, it's a stern one. It also, and we should also say though, it, that there's comfort here. There's a comfort in that if you've experienced uh, any, any sufferings at the hands of others in this way. Um, if, if that's been a part of your life or your story or somebody that you know and love, um, we don't know exactly what God's punishment means here, what it will look like. We, do, we know that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice who takes the punishment for sin upon himself, and we know because of that and because of who he is that he's the God of justice. He doesn't close his eyes to sin. And so the things that we cannot even mention aloud that this passage points to that we know still takes place today. God knows. God sees. And we trust in his character that vengeance is his. And and so if you're somebody today who has experienced abuse, uh, this is is actually an invitation to freedom for you. You you don't have to have your life consumed with vengeance. The The Lord says, vengeance is mine. And so you, your, for yours, your take, your portion is now to find healing and rest and restoration with the Lord and with His people. And so we trust in the Lord and in His character. So, so there's the community invocation there for for not taking these warnings seriously, for not considering a holy life on, on this this side of things with sexual morality, but but also. Um, uh, that for, for those who, who dismiss the body as, as not a gift but as something irrelevant, there's also, did you see, there's also community implications. Um, the, there are people who have to work more as a result. And, and also Paul alludes to the fact that the church in, in Thessalonians, their reputation was being hindered because people from the outside were noticing, like, you have a bunch of what appears to be lazy people in your church. Why aren't they working? Why aren't they producing for the city? What's going on? Why are they acting this way? Um, and this is actually an important point for us to think about. Um, and so just, I just want to hammer on it for a moment. Um, it, think about what's happening. Some among them had over-spiritualized their faith in Jesus to the point that it caused them to have a very thin and superficial understanding of the importance of their body. Jesus is going to return soon. This is all going to burn up. doesn't matter. Um, And and we know a little bit about this today. In in the church in America, the evangelical church in America, um, what happens when our Christian vision of the body is diluted down into lazy theology? Well, I think there's a couple, there's two things I just want to point out to you um, that I think are are a result of this and where this is where we need to do some work together. Um, On the one hand, I think this is partly why we're seeing a boy crisis in our country today and in the church. Um, we we have a very thin view of helping our boys understand, and our kids, but in particular our boys, of understanding the purpose and the meaning and the glory and the gift that God has given them in their body and the purpose they have in life. Uh, Our faith is so over-spiritualized sometimes that they can get the gospel here, but then they have no sense of, like, I've given you this body to go make meaning in the world as a gift. And so I I don't know if you know this, but the, the male suicide rate is double the female suicide rate in America right now. That boys are dramatically less likely to go to college or to, or to move out of the house and make their own way than girls are at the moment. And so that's just the tip of the iceberg. But there's this crisis now that we have that's larger than the church. But I don't think the church is helping in part because we have a very thin view. We have not heeded Paul's instruction here to help our children understand a bodily reality is a part of what God's design is for you. Uh, to make meaning in the world with the gifts he's given you. So, so there's that, right? Now stay with me. There's another, there's another way in which our thin theology of the body has harmed people. Um, and this is particularly cu- uh, true for our, for our gay brothers and sisters in the Lord. When you have a thin view of the body, um, what, what has happened is that we've oversimplified um, the, the gay body to a simply just a sex drive that needs to be fixed. Now, I know, I'm, I know I'm kind of going in deep on you here with me, but just stay with me. This is an important point. If we don't understand the fullness of the gift of the body that God has given us, this is one of the reasons why the church has exacted so much harm on gay brothers and sisters because all, we, we, sort of, we just have an oversimplification of the body. And so we focus in on little sins, right, on, on the sex drive of a gay individual, and we say, let's fix that because we can't imagine that a gay person has anything else going on in their life than the fact that they're gay. You see what I'm saying? We reduce down. We have this simplified vision of the body that doesn't consider, no, there's a fuller life that's happening, just like we all share in. Our poor theology of the body has consequences, brothers and sisters. And we lay extra burdens on our gay brothers and sisters and and on the next generation and how we empower them and help them think about what's next in their life. So these things, these warnings Paul has for us, are are important, and and it's a calling to live a holy life. Um, And God desires His people live a holy life that's pleasing to Him. And Paul identifies um, in in the church that He's writing to a similar problem we have today. Um, and, And this is so. So come back down with me, right? These warnings: when we intend to do good, evil is right there with us. And so your, prob- your, your body is a problem in this way. Um, you, you cannot blindly follow every instinct and, and command of your body, right? Um, so I know that if I did that, uh, I would have a diet that consists of tasty cakes and Italian hoagies, right? Um, I joke, but, but you know what I mean. If we just satisfied every longing of our bodies, we, we, we all know, Christian or not, that won't go well. Um, so on the one hand, we have the problem of the body here. It's a trail of destruction and abuse that would result. Um, but, but we know that we can't dismiss our bodies. We know we need to listen to our bodies. Um, they're not just obstacles to life. So, so how, do we, how do we live a bodily holiness here that God calls us to? Um, and this is the second, the second point, a union with God. Um, how do the scriptures lead us to a bodily life of holiness? Um, there's another common thread so, the, the body's a common thread. You might notice there's another thread that Paul uses here um, to describe what's going on. Uh, Paul identifies the problem beneath the problem of the body is not knowing God, or in the case of, of those who are idle, of misknowing God, right? So, in verse 6, he says that he describes the people who are caught up in passionate lust as those who do not know God. Um, in verse 9, he says, uh, to love one another, work with your hands. Why? Because that's the, that's the way you've been taught. You've been taught to do so. So how do I begin to live a life in the body that pleases God? How do I begin to walk in holiness? God says, the the, the issue is, God says, know me. He says, know me, turn to me. And this is is where we begin to look at what the call to repentance, to holiness is. Um, We begin to turn, brothers and sisters, you, you turn from the problem of your body, of your inability to know when to follow it, when to to bring it under control, you you turn to the Lord in repentance. And so our first step of holiness is actually not uh, to clean up your act. Uh, Do you know that? You don't need to clean up your act this morning. Uh, You don't need to clean up your act before you come to the Lord's Supper this morning. The first step is actually not to clean up your act, but in the first place, you turn to the God who wants to be known. You turn to him and say, Lord, I, I, I know that my body is prepared to do evil. I know that, my, uh, that I desire things that, that are against your will in my body. I know that I'm tempted to, to disregard your body. You, you, you speak to the Lord about where you are. And then you say, Father, forgive me. Lord, help me. You receive the invitation of God to know him and you turn away from your sin to God. And there Brothers and sisters, this is how the gospel works. And this is what Angela was talking to us about in the, this morning's Adult Sunday School. There you receive forgiveness of sins. There you are, when you turn, you are adopted into the family of God and you receive the righteous robes of Christ as your own. This is the invitation to repent. And then, when you repent, the body does not detach like some fuselage of a, of a rocket going up to space, Right? When you repent, actually something beautiful and mysterious happens. In addition to all that we've just said, within all I've just said, when you repent, you are joined with Christ by faith. Body and soul. Uh, Kim, we're tracking there this morning. Uh, What is the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong. Body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is where the problem of the body sort of reaches a crescendo in the gospel response of God. Your body is not your master, nor is it to be ignored, nor is it some sort of inconvenient uh, acquaintance that doesn't quite get the message that no one invited along for this Christian journey you're on. In your body, by God's grace, in your body, you know God. Your body and soul are a union with God. And that's the kind of knowledge that, that Paul's talking about. The intimate covenantal knowledge of God is never a purely intellectual one. It's always an intimate body-soul relationship. You know union with God in your body. And you know, you know what it's like to know something in your body as opposed and you're both an all, your whole person rather than just in your head, right? So I'm, I'm teaching Lucia how to drive um, and and when you, if you've ever taught somebody how to drive, you instantly know, oh, I don't even – I know how to drive in my whole person, right? <laughs> I'm doing a 1,000 things at once, and now all of a sudden you're slowing somebody down and saying, yes, you've got to look at that light. You've got to flip this switch on. You've got to look over here. Did you check your blind spot, jersey plates? You know, be careful, the whole thing, right? <laughs> and it's – so you're all – you're, all do, you're doing all those things at once, right? You know how to drive in your body. And you, when you get in a car, you want to be driving with someone who's not thinking about driving, right? Wow. Yep. <laughs> um, and we know this, too. This works, this works in the tragic sense, too. We know what it is for somebody to know a horrific event in their body, right? The body keeps score. Um, our, we carry our trauma with us. Uh, we know what it is to know things in our body. Um, I'll just give you another example. I, I share this, half of this with the youth a couple weeks ago. Um, every time I walk our dog, Gouda, um, I, you know, I do that fun thing that like, I can't believe we as humans are doing this. You, know, you pick up the poop and you tie the bag and you go, you go back to the house and um, the, the front door is this way. The trash can is over here to put the, the poop in the trash can. And every single time... I go to the trash can, and Gouda resists because he thinks he's not going home yet, right? Um, and I'm telling you, a dozens and dozens of times, you'd think eventually he would learn. In Gouda's body, he knows, he thinks that the, the right way, the fastest way to get a treat is to go this way. Now, that's part of the story, right? So I have to drag him over, and I have to put the poop in the... I'm like, I'm carrying your poop, you know? It's, it's messed up. But here's the thing, actually, I learned as I reflected on that... Um, uh, I didn't reflect too long, but it just occurred to me. Uh, I was leading him over, and what I had learned in my body was every time he pulled and resisted, um, I was growing in anger. Now, it's a, weird, it's, it's a weird phenomenon, but what I've learned in my body is when somebody resists me in a way that doesn't make sense to me, I get angry. And I know that that's in my body, right? I'm not, that's, in other words, I'm not thinking that. That's coming out faster than I can think right? So you know this. If you, I mean, if you're, if you're dealing with little kids and they're pulling you away, right? Or, or th- there's that, that resistance to what you know is best. And that, that's, that's something we know in your body. Um, and so, so this is, this is the, actually the invitation. What we're saying is, what the audacity of the gospel is to say, in that way, you know union with Christ in your body, you know the intimacy, the love, the care, the self-control the Spirit brings as a bodily thing. And, and just, and just, as you may have noticed too in the passage, right, Paul says twice, more and more, right, that you would grow more and more in these things. Um, so, so there's that one-time invitation I just spoke about. But for those of you who have, who, have accept, who have given your life to Christ, there's an invitation to more, to more and more. And that's not... That does not mean now the rest of your life is spent proving that you meant that first one. Um, God does not give you forgiveness and then the next minute he's cracking the whip. More and more means that you become more and more a person who lives by grace. More and more, grace is your meal. That union with Christ is your meal. It's the way you sustain life. Uh, J.I. Packer says it so well in that quote you have. He says, we need to realize that while God's acceptance of each Christian believer is perfect from the start, our repentance always needs to be extended further as long as we are in this world. Repentance means turning from as much, this is so, so important, so helpful, from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. As our knowledge grows from these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. The result is this richer knowledge of God, this deeper union with your Savior, and a life that pleases God. Now I just want to leave you now with um, with one practice. I know I have two there, but we're going to do one. Um, and, and before I get to that practice, I just uh, there, there are all these these things that are hanging in my mind that some of you might be thinking. And I want to make sure I make clear um, what we're not saying is that uh, you don't please God through behavior modification. Um, Jesus warned the Pharisees about cleaning the outside of the cup, right, while the inside. Is, is full of greed and self-indulgence. That's not what we're saying. Um, we're not saying that we worship the body, uh, the health of the body as evidence of holiness, that the most physically fit among us are the most, are the most holy. Uh, what we're talking about is what, just another way in which when we turn to God in repentance, the way he meets us in this bodily life. Um, uh, and, and In fact, the, the Abigail um, Favale quote there Um, is is a good way to express why the focus on the body is important. Uh, She says, we are part of a created order, a harmonious whole that is brought into being and held into existence by a loving creator. We are unities of body and spirit. Our bodies are are an integral part of our identity that connects us to the created order and serve as a bridge between our inmost being and the outer world and a sacramental sign of the hidden mystery of God. So there's there's just an invitation to your body this morning, brothers and sisters, with Christ. And and we're trained sometimes, we've trained ourselves to not consider it. So you're not thinking right now that some of you are sitting here with a clenched jaw. And some of you are sitting here right now with your shoulders tight. Uh, Some of you are are, are carrying the stress and anxiety and the fear in your body. um, And your body's ready to do evil. But by grace and through the power of the Spirit, we can bring our bodies and souls into support of this new life that God gives. We can train our body into holiness, toward holiness, so that, so that holiness and goodness can actually run from your body without thinking. Uh, so imagine that somebody curses you and without thinking you bless them. That's the kind of vision Jesus gave us, right? That it runs from your body without thinking. And that's what Paul instructs. He, you know, he talks about taking control of your own body, your own vessel, right, is the word. He talks about um, uh, moving from, from ignoring the gift of the body and the idleness to working with your hands, right, to train the body for holiness. And so just one way to do it this week um, is I would encourage you to fast. Uh, fasting is, uh, it's become popularized as, as fasting from anything, but I would encourage you to see uh, fasting as, as particularly from food, um, There's there's abstaining from other things, but fasting is traditionally about food. Um, And as you want to move into this repentance, to holiness, uh, why fast? Why abstain from food? Pick one meal. and Now, why do that? Um, Fasting alerts you to how your whole person responds to being denied getting its own way. Uh, It it alerts you to how much you're depending upon satisfying your desires to have a pleasing life. Uh, When you deny yourself food, you will see where your body is trained to go. Uh, and So it, it helps you see that. And then in fasting, that, in, that, that invites you to a deeper intimacy with God, not because he gets closer to you when you fast, but because you, you then become more aware of there's, a new, there's another source of life and satisfaction that I can partake of. You grow in your knowledge of how close he is to you. Uh, so I'd invite you to do that um, there's a historic tradition of fasting on Wednesday and Friday uh, mapping it out to the, the day Wednesday being when Jesus was betrayed um, and, and, and you can you can find your own time your own meal but I invite you to do that one meal this week um, and just just notice and ask the Lord to reveal to you um, what's going on in your heart and his union his closeness to you uh, Prayer is reaching out for the unseen. Andrew Murray says, fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Uh, I invite the worship team to come forward. Um, this morning, though, we, we don't fast as we, as we move to the Lord's Supper. Um, for now, our part on, on the Lord's Day on Sunday is to move to the table, to move to a feast that God has provided for us.